You finally decided to learn how to ice skate, so you ordered the essentials every aspiring ice skater needs. A nice pair of blades, a shiny new helmet, and a good set of knee pads. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which you put those rewards towards an essential piece of post-skating recovery, a heating pad. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod, Pina, who is of the internet everywhere on the internet. Michael, your coverage has been amazing here through the bubble, and I don't know if it started to hit you this weekend, but it feels like we're we're coming down the home stretch of sort of the first lap uh, of the bubble. Uh, we've had a couple teams eliminated already. The Washington Wizards were first on Friday, followed by the New Orleans Pelicans and the Sacramento Kings on Sunday. Further cuts will be happening this week in advance of uh, the Western Conference's play-in round, which is going to take place on on Saturday and then Sunday if necessary. And from there, Michael, the long-awaited 2020 playoffs are going to grace us with their presence next Monday. I'm pretty excited about it. It's been crazy. Feels like time is flying down here. I can't believe you know some of these guys are already going to be packed up and 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 jetting out of here uh, as early as Friday, but. Uh, I wanted to start with maybe with just a quick round of fact checks on some of our takes from the hiatus because, you know, we got a few off uh, during the four-month time period, and now we've had a couple of weeks of basketball to kind of review things. I think one of my strongest uh, held takes, Michael, was the idea that, like, the basketball was going to be sloppy, that, you know, defense was probably going to have an advantage at the start. It was an argument in favor of a team like the Toronto Raptors or, you know, sticking with a team like the L.A. Clippers – that's really not what we've seen so far here over the last you know ten or twelve days, is it? No. Um, if you go to uh, cleaningtheglass.com, a great statistical website, it actually points out that offense over the past well, it says here two weeks, but look, for all intents and purposes, the last since the bubble began, offensive rating the average is one twelve point two. And before that, it was 110.8, which is a number that also includes the bubble. So it's even lower than that. So, yeah, we've seen like I'm, I don't know, but I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted by this, to be honest with you, like players like Damian Lillard just like going off. I mean, he did miss those two free throws in the game. Uh, against the Clippers, but then he just responds with 51. Like we've seen just ridiculous performances by other superstars that we're going to mention and talk about later on. Uh, it's kind of surprising to me. It really is. This is one where I do feel a little bit bad, um, not necessarily because of the original analysis, but because of the impact of the travel on it. Um, now, there's been a lot of talk about, hey, what's the gym like? Does it have good shooter lines? You know, and the players have said, they like the lighting. They like the the lack of crazy backdrop behind the hoop and, and all those kinds of things. But we did talk about things like how would travel or a lack of travel rather make things easier for writers. I've even written a story about how the referees <laughs> are kind of liking the lack of travel, how their life is so much simpler. They just have to go back and forth to the gym all day long. That's all they do. It does stand to reason that like in a situation where you're you know, trying to you know put together chemistry on offense, timing, 
Um, you're trying to manage your energy and all these kinds of things that the NBA players have to deal with. And they're not having the wonky sleep patterns. They're not, you know, changing time zones multiple times during a series. They're just chilling in one spot. Maybe in hindsight, it wasn't so, uh, you know, difficult to ascertain that there actually would be, you know, an offensive explosion here out of the gate. I mean, I heard some stat it was up almost 10 points per game at some point. Um, I don't know if that's still holding here to this point, but we've seen a number of, you know, big time scoring performances into the 130s, you know, not regularly, Mm -hmm. but, you know, multiple times. And I... I'm inclined to attribute it to travel and then also possibly to teams just not having their full complement of guys, you know, so maybe there's there's weaker links out there who can kind of get exposed a little bit more easily. But um, to me, I, I think the, the travel part's got to be a big deal, right? Yeah, the travel, for sure, I think that that impacts and infuses a lot of this. I also think you, you bring up a really good point with, and I was going to get into this on a, one of our later questions coming up, but teams just not having the glut of their rosters available or players who have re- who weren't particip- able to participate in the training camp segment who came back because of uh, coronavirus or, or a different reason. Um, that, you know, defense is all about communication. It's about continuity. It's about, I mean, you just look at teams like the, the Denver Nuggets, for example, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, their defense has been really good. Um but the the Nuggets, the Clippers, just other teams that haven't quite the Bucks that we saw just be so much better on the defensive end uh, before the shutdown that have kind of struggled because they either haven't had their players or they've had to adjust and kind of on the fly and get reaccommodated so quickly. For sure. And this kind of leads me to another one uh, that's related, which is the idea of like, I was really worried, is there going to be too much basketball, right? Um, You know, are they bringing in too many teams that are going to, um, you know, play these ugly games early on, potentially increase the risk for the contenders and put the entire uh, program at stake? And I think what we've seen so far with still zero positive tests in the bubble, I mean, the, the health and safety protocols have worked flawlessly. I actually do have... A real second thought on that one too, Michael, because we're sending home some really interesting teams this week, right? Whether it's, now the Pelicans are are not the most interesting. They've been uh, certainly disappointing. We're going to get to them later, but you do lose the the Zion draw. Um, You're potentially losing the Suns, who some people could argue is the single best story of the bubble. Um, You know, they still have an uphill battle to get themselves into the playoff picture. You Wait, could. Ben, 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 let me cut you off for two seconds, because I really, I'm glad that you just mentioned the Suns, and I don't know if I'll have another opportunity to ask this question, but how difficult has it been for you to just watch all of this unfold? The best team in the bubble, your least favorite team? Well, here's the thing. They're they're doing the victory lap so quickly. They have their first <laughs> their first five-game winning streak in like a decade. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we're getting the stories comparing Devin Booker to Kobe Bryant and all this stuff, and it's just like... <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. I mean, and, and I understand the excitement. I really don't want to rain on their parade. I actually did local radio down in Phoenix last week, and they were already crowning the Suns as sweep, like sweeping the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs. So I really like the, the passion and the excitement from them. Uh-huh. But we do yeah. just, can we please just pump the brakes slightly? Just chill out a little bit. I mean, uh, anyway, it's, it's good to see their success. Um, it's been a long time coming. And, you know, frankly, this whole season should have been better for them, if not for the eight and suspension. So it's nice that they're salvaging something out of it. Uh, But anyway, I guess my point here was the conventional wisdom maybe a month or two ago was this thing is too big. There's too many games. Mm -hmm. And now we're actually seeing some teams that 
you know, I would actually be disappointed if Phoenix has to go home this week, right? I mean, they've played well enough to be a playoff team. I'd way rather watch Phoenix than Orlando um, or Brooklyn. And a similar deal with Memphis. It would be disappointing to watch Ja go home. I mean, I just feel like there's going to be some level of sadness and losing a few of these younger figures from the Western Conference, it's not like these guys are going to go win a title, but it does kind of feel like, wow, the party's over already. Like, we just started. We just we just got here, you know? Yeah, that's really no different from every other season. Like, it's just the East Eastern Conference, Western Conference thing, you know, where a team like the Nets is going to stick around. And I don't know about you, but I just have... Like, there are some really interesting, uh, you know, you could look at the Nets as like a Cinderella story. It's something I wrote in my column on Friday. And if you're missing March Madness or you miss March Madness, the Nets are probably like your team. But no one, like, in reality, no one wants to watch the Brooklyn Nets play basketball without yeah, no, Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant. I'm not missing college basketball that much. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. But. Like, yeah, the, the, I, I, I agree with you where there's teams like that that will be around and we're not going to get, uh, you know, one of Portland. Uh, the Spurs are super fun. I'm really having a good time watching them. Uh, Phoenix, as we've mentioned, it, it, it's like on one hand, uh, us not getting to watch those teams in the playoffs is a huge bummer. And then on the other, it's like I am very excited for the play in tournament game. So that's where I wanted to go with the next one, because that was another big topic of discussion of like, oh, are they going to be able to generate some interest with this play in? And like, is it worth doing? And the NBA kind of like focused all their creativity on it. And I have a hard time remembering exactly what our take was. I feel like we were maybe sort of, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. Whoever wins is going to go get wiped out in the first round. I do think that Uh, the Western Conference play-in chase has kind of defined things here the last few days in the bubble where it's like you're checking the standings, you're seeing who won. You know, Portland has a big comeback win, so that's a big deal. Knocking New Orleans out, you know, this win impacts this team and and all just the horse race stuff has actually really turned into quite the story because you have a lot of just younger and hungry teams trying trying to extend their stays here, which you like to see. At the same time, though, I wonder... Was this the opportunity, just given all the weird circumstances for Adam Silver, who like in the past has said, you know, we only do eight from the West and eight from the East, um, you know, because of travel concerns, not tradition. In other words, he was like willing to experiment with this idea, not being tied to history if there was no, you know, travel issues like during a playoff uh, setup. Well, here we are in Orlando no travel issues. You could have anybody play anybody. I know at some point people were saying, well, let the favorites select their opponents, you know, for each round. That was an idea that was out there. I just wonder if they had come up with a scenario to just take the top 16 teams, regardless of conference, would that have actually made a more entertaining, more fun playoff bracket and actually have accomplished sort of what the play-in round was trying to accomplish, but like have done it in a totally better way uh, that would have generated more TV revenue and just you know gotten more interest. I mean, what do you think? Like, did we get so fixated on this idea of the play-in round that we missed a better solution for such a strange year? I think that the you're right. Where the first round of the playoffs probably would have been more interesting if the Bucks were playing the Suns or something instead of the Nets or the Wiz or whoever the eighth seed Magic whatever team um, at the bottom of the East. But I have a I have a real quick uh, like nuts and bolts question for you about this because for me I really struggle to I'm like I'm fascinated by the bottom of the West. I love that's you're spot on for saying that that is 
what everyone should be paying attention to right now. Um, I just can't even follow along with who is up and who is down. Like, uh, who specifically has an advantage? Who is at a disadvantage? Who is most likely to make it? Who is not? Like, it's just, it's very, uh, it's very confusing. And I'm just of the mind where I, I'm like, okay, whatever happens, like, I'm following along and I'm watching the games and everything. But I'm just kind of like, let's just get to the play-in game and just tell me who's in it. And I I can't wait to watch, but I can't process like tiebreakers and all that mumbo jumbo. Like, are you at the, in the same level with me? Are you more scientifically approaching this where you're, you're able to really follow along in real time? No, I mean, I'm not like a full Matt Moore with like the magic numbers memorized and tweeted (laughs) out like every morning at 7:45 AM. You know, I'm not, I'm definitely not there. And I was in your exact same camp until probably Saturday. And then I started to realize like what I'm saying earlier, like Zion might leave. Oh no. Like I started panicking. And so I started digging into it a little bit more and it's been a really fun race. I mean, it's complicated by this idea that it's not just about, you know, the the typical race for the eighth seed, it's about that buffer for the ninth seed. And then it's complicated by the fact that not all these teams have played the same total number of games. So you're getting into these weird fractions where like, yeah. you know, it, which, you know, ultimately is going to feel kind of unfair for whoever gets sent home, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been diving deeper and deeper into it and it's been very rewarding. I mean, the, the Lillard performance, you know, on Sunday, like, you don't want to go overboard and call it like this heroic thing because it was happening against the Sixers who were without Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So it's like, congratulations, you lit up Alec Burks. That must feel fantastic. But at the same time, they're on a back-to-back. He had just completely tripped off a game against the Clippers with two missed free throws in the final seconds. So much so that Patrick Beverly is like heckling him from the sidelines. Paul George is talking trash, and that hardly ever happens. Um, you, you just get this extended back and forth that carries over to Instagram. And the, it's the idea that like the Blazers can't get a stop to save their life. But as long as Lillard just keeps scoring four-point plays, three-pointers, dunks, like they'll be able to like pull this thing off. There was some real... There was some real juice to it. You could actually, you know, where we were standing after the game, you could listen in on their um, their post-game celebration, and Melo had cracked, I think, the top 15 for scoring. And, you know, obviously mm-hmm. their playoff hopes were still alive. They, they still control their own destiny with two games to go. So these guys were loving life in what amounted to, like, a portable classroom that they've got set up, which didn't even have a ceiling, right? <laughs> so it's just basically, like, temporary walls creating their locker room. And, uh, I mean, it's... Not even as nice as your high school locker room. I promise you that, it, it, where these guys were celebrating. And it's just a beautiful scene. You know, it's like these guys really want to be here. Not every team in this group, notably New Orleans, does want to be here. And, you know, they they delivered. So I think that's fascinating. And I just, you know, worry for these kinds of teams like Phoenix or Portland, probably the, the two that want to be here the most who have both, you know, made really strong cases to get to stay. One of those teams is going home. And I just think that's a little bit of a bummer. Is it worth completely throwing out your typical uh, postseason format to save them? A lot of people would know, uh, Michael, I would say yes. I would say that they should have done that, just taking the best 16. We would have a better playoffs. We would have more juice. Can you imagine Milwaukee versus Phoenix, right, instead of Milwaukee, Orlando? Uh, You're watching that one for sure, right? But real quick, like, would you be focused that much on the games right now, though? Like, you're kind of delaying the the satisfaction of the playoff series, but these games would be extra meaningless, don't you think? Like, do you even consider 
the, well, yeah, no, no, I hear pl- what you're saying, but you would also, they would still have to crack into that top 16, right? So there's still some level of a race with the Orlandos and the Brooklyns of the world to like get their record up to the point where it needs to be. So it wouldn't be, a, you know, I would just trade the instant gratification of the play-in round for the delayed longer gratification of better playoff series. And this is also just a hobby horse of mine. I've been riding it straight into the ground for the last five years, but I do think you should keep as many of the best teams in the playoffs uh, for as long as possible. At the end of the day, my idea that I definitely cribbed from someone else about how the top seeded team should be able to draft who they play, I, I really think that that would be just terrific, right? <laughs> especially right now. Like, I, like who, who are the Lakers even picking? Think about that. Like, they're not even really good right now. So it's like, like they're clearly, they would clearly duck the Portland Trailblazers. I, I just think that that would be incredible and it's undeniable. I will not let anyone argue with me on it. They might even take a team like Utah, you know? See, this is what I'm talking about. We could just be discussing who would the Lakers pick, and it would be, oh, man, we're really missing an opportunity here. That would be pretty wild. The last one on the the, the take referendum um, from the bubble, Michael, would be my idea that the favorites were going to steamroll people because the underdogs would just kind of uh, roll over in a playoff series. I believe you were on a different camp. I thought you might have said something along the lines of, hey, it could just be chaos down there and it could just open mm-hmm. things up wide for you know a team like Houston or, or some of these under, other underdog teams. How are we feeling about that one? Obviously, we haven't seen it play out in a playoff uh, round where the best teams are going really, really hard. And you know some of the Lakers' um, you know trials and tribulations the last couple of days could be because you know LeBron's not going 100% because the games don't matter. I'm just curious, do we have, are we leaning one way or the other on like, is the bubble playing to the favorites or is the bubble playing to the chaos? Which do you think? I honestly don't know the answer to this question. I did predict that it would be chaotic, but I also kind of thought that, like, I, I, what we've seen so far, as I outlined before, is just these teams are not complete. Like, the Clippers losing to the Nets like it's not a complete Clippers team now that was obviously a crazy upset that I didn't predict or anything like that but there's just other teams out there that you know like the Bucks with Eric Bledsoe the Eric Bledsoe situation with them um you have the Pacers where uh, you know Sabonis goes home with the foot injury and you move TJ Warren to the four and all of a sudden the team just like takes on this completely different identity that's like we did, didn't see coming um so there's just all this weird stuff happening. I, I'm starting to think, though, that uh, once playoff series happen and teams are able to make adjustments, that we're going to see a little bit more of the, you know, the, the cream of the crop is kind of going to rise, uh, except for the Lakers. Sorry, Lakers fans. <laughs> but uh, I do think that the better teams are, like, for the most part, looking like they are better than everybody else. And I think once we get a little bit more removed from uh, you know, player t- or teams adding certain players and trying to incorporate them in that those teams are going to look like the, the juggernauts that they were before the season was suspended. I hear you. The team that I've, I've actually made me rethink this isn't the Lakers, it's the Bucks because they've had a couple games like come down to the wire and they've really struggled to execute on offense. Um, mm. Giannis has got his scoring here and there, but the kind of the team overall offense just hasn't been up to snuff. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of 
a little bit lost looking around whose turn is it going to be and you know Bud's had a couple questionable decisions he took Lopez off the court at a key moment against the Mavericks which just you know was kind of a head scratcher is, <laughs> is Brick Lopez like the third best player in the bubble um yeah I was you know why not I mean he's he's, he's been incredible. balling he's been balling <laughs> and uh he's getting his points in a lot of different ways too um mm-hmm. but I guess my concern with Milwaukee is just like when you're at home first of all you're probably going to get more calls right you're going to be able to ride that crowd momentum they've got an awesome home court advantage the underdog teams are going to be more scared to go into that building I mean it's not the craziest place but you know there is a legit you know, sensation yeah. when you're there. We saw what they did to, to Toronto in games one and two. They didn't play great in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, but um, they certainly, uh, you know, took care of business, right? Now, down here, it's just a different vibe because they are trying to manufacture their own energy, all those kinds of um, slogans that we've started talking about. It's just uh, not the same. They don't have that same level of control and inherent advantage in those late game situations. And for them, I mean, that has been a bugaboo in the past, right? You know, Giannis is not the -the off-the-dribble three-point shooter that uh, everyone would hope for. Um, He's not a Kawhi-level mid-range assassin. Um, You know, so where do you go when the game slows down? I think that's an open question for them. And I think it's it's come through here in a couple of moments. And I just wonder, um, does the bubble chaos factor make those moments more likely? You know, uh, does the lack of home court advantage uh, actually, you know, just wind up working against the favorites more than I expected? I guess we'll see when they really ramp it up. And of course, they've managed Giannis's minutes very carefully here. Like they're not chasing a single win in the bubble. So a lot of this analysis can go out the window if he just plays 40 minutes a night. But um, I guess that, that was one thing that I saw down here. It's like, oh, now, these guys are missing that home cooking. You know, he's not getting to the line as much as I think he should, uh, given some of the contact he's taking. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm not going with you there. I will say I, I do agree with you that uh, home court is just like they're at the detriment there more than any other team, arguably, just because they had the best record. They would have had an opportunity to play any game seven in Milwaukee. That's a big advantage. Michael, can't both things be true here, though? Can't he commit more fouls than he's getting called for? And can't he be fouled more than he is getting uh, rewarded? You're saying it all balances out in the end? No, I'm outraged by the treatment of him. It's ridiculous. But I'm just saying, you know, you're, you're freaking out when I made that statement. I think actually both things are true. I think that there's a number of situations where he is just such a physical player that maybe the referees do, you know, kind of like the overturn charges and stuff like that. Is that a superstar call? I mean, it's possible for sure, right? Is he fouling I, I, more than five or six times per game? It's very likely. He's a very physical player. But I also right. think on the other end, this guy takes a beating a lot and he can absorb it. Um, in very shack-like ways. And so I'm not advocating that I want, you know, 35 extra whistles every night because then we'll be there for four hours every game. But I do uh-huh. think that, uh, you know, he's a, he's getting the short end of the stick still, even if, uh, you know, his, his uh, detractors would make the same argument the other way. Love Giannis. I do want to point out two things. One, you're like, he just doesn't have any late game moves. Like it's the... The dribble, put his head down, dribble, spin move when the floor is spread that is just completely unguardable. And then if you really pack the pain, he's going to kick out to three-point shooters, obviously. But as we've seen in these crunch times, like Giannis is pretty one-dimensional offensively, and that's going to continue regardless of where the games are being played uh, as you get against different competition. The second thing I just want to say real quick is that Giannis, and I, I've been kind of pointing this out because it's so bizarre to me, but two more, uh, air balls from the free throw line the other night against Dallas in a game that was very close. And if you, 
you know, at least gave the ball a chance to go in by having it the arc be above the front of the rim, like maybe you, you win that game. So I just wanted to, to, to point those those out there for you. Shameless trolling. Actually, Zion, Zion had one too. Uh, I know, I saw. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty rough as well. You know, I think it's actually just the air circulation uh, machines here uh, down here in Disney World, Michael. They've got the super high powered uh, filtration. It just kind of knocks the ball off course. It could happen to anyone. Um, I'm going to save that clip of what you just said. That ridiculous okay. slander against Giannis's Good. name. And when he's mm-hmm. holding up that Larry O'Brien trophy in an empty gymnasium, and I'm the only person there to document it because everybody else has gone home, <laughs> I will make sure to play that clip back to you. It's going to be fantastic. Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's actually hop to the other side of that game on Friday night. You know, sometimes these Friday night games get lost by us, Michael, because, you know, we put our episode out on Friday, and then by the time, you know, we come back around on Monday, the, the news cycle has already changed. I think we need to stop and pause and just do some real, like, Luka Doncic gushing here i mean i don't know if you watched that game friday night or caught the highlights that was one of the most ridiculous performances i've seen in person this year right near the top it was the kind of game where had that happened in dallas i'm pretty convinced fans would have been taking their clothes off in excitement like i think it was one of those where you're just like ripping your shirt off because you can't believe it um just going absolutely haywire after the trip I drove my van back with all my equipment. I could hear a little bit of whimpering and crying. When Eldon Kidd, a father of five running rafting tours through Mexico, found two Guatemalan girls stowed away in the back of his tour van one night, it changed his life forever. They pleaded with me, can you bring us to the border? I agreed. And I thought, can I do this again somehow? From the team behind American Skyjacker comes an epic new crime series, American Coyote. Being a coyote is a dangerous and illegal business. You have to be prepared for the worst. The unbelievable tale of a legendary coyote named Eldon Kidd, American Coyote. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. You decided it was time to upgrade your outdoor deck. So you got all the essentials to do it. You ordered a power washer, a set of patio chairs, and a shiny new grill. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping and up to 5.25% as a preferred rewards member, which you put towards your most essential deck addition, a bird feeder. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. We got a question from Brandon in LA, and he's one of our favorite hot take artists. He always loves to bring the heat. He writes, what the bleep is wrong with you guys? And I mean all of you guys in the media. How could you make James Harden one of the three finalists for NBA MVP? Harden isn't even the best player in Texas. He might not even be the best player on his own team. Westbrook has been Houston's best player since January, and that's when the Rockets began to turn their season around and really look like contenders. The best player in the state of Texas is clearly Luka Doncic, whom you guys snubbed. So uh, he's blaming us. I don't think either one of us voted, Michael, but he's blaming us for the top three um, (laughs) MVP balloting that that came down last week. It's Giannis, LeBron, Uh and Harden are the three finalists for MVP. I mean, Doncic is fourth or fifth, I think, on my ballot. I would really have to dig into it, but he's certainly a top five candidate to me. Um, So I don't know if that's like this major snubbing that Brandon's talking about, but 
Just talk to me about what you saw in that Milwaukee game, and then we can dig into the the Harden comparison here in a minute. But what was your takeaway from watching just that explosion on Friday night? I was it's like breathless to watch. I did watch the whole game uh, to do what he did. Just some of the passes. I know the the between the legs pocket pass to Maxi Kleber in crunch time with Giannis as the screenage defender uh, was like. That's the one that's kind of getting all the attention. That might have been like the fourth or fifth most impressive pass that he made <laughs> that night. Like he was, it was one of the best passing displays uh, I've seen a player make in in several years. And I just don't even know what you can say about him. Like the footwork, the craftiness, the total, uh, the, the total balance, the total command of his own body. Uh, he just dictates everything uh, when the Dallas Mavericks are on offense in a way that very few players in our lifetimes are able to. And I, I, yeah, I, I think like one of the first thoughts that I had after that game ended was that Bagley over Luka is the worst draft pick of my entire life. It's a great take. Uh, it's a really, really good take, especially because... It, you had the opportunity, like somebody else had already blown it, right? Like with the Aiton pick. So it's like, okay, here it comes to you. So it's not like it's one versus two; it's two versus three. It does up the um, up the terribleness of that uh, of that call. What mm-hmm. I think about when I watch Luca now, it's kind of like he's a lion tamer, but the basketball is his lion. Like you know, have you ever seen those like weirdos who like live with lions for like thirty or forty years, and they they just start to like develop this psychological connection where they can kind of read each other's mind and, you know, a little finger snap here or there and just the line will do whatever the guy wants. I feel like that's basically Luca with the basketball. Like before the game, he shot a half court heave where the ball basically hit the ceiling of the building because he shot it like 45 feet up in the air and it just rattled in perfectly from half court, right? He just, can I, can I really quickly just plug something off of what you just said? Oh, you you have an article um, coming out about lion tamers? No, I yeah, I wish. Check um, for it on GQ. I, <laughs> the, the top seven sexiest lion tamers with NBA nicknames. We're gonna have to cut this so that I can steal that idea. But I interviewed Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, uh, on Friday, right before the game, actually, and we talked about uh, we talked about uh, an outfit that he was wearing primarily. But I asked him about Luca. And he said, like, the most incredible thing about Luca is every time he steps into the practice gym, he has to hit, like, he, he shows up early, and he has to hit either a half-court shot or a full-court shot, or, you know, down in the bubble, there's, like, the courts are stacked kind of uh, opposite one another, so you can have two courts, the length of two courts, basically, and Luca will try to shoot it from one end all the way to the other, and he, like, doesn't stop until he makes them. Uh, so he's just like on a completely different planet, I think, at like solar system galaxy. Like, I don't even know how to judge this person. He is no, just it, the basketball ridiculous. is like a part of his body. I mean, you, you probably had guys in high school, like the athletes would like carry the football around. I mean, we had a quarterback at Beaverton, Taylor Barton, who wound up going on to a pretty successful career, but he would carry the football around with him everywhere he went. You know, he always wanted to have it with him. You hear about guys like sleeping with the basketball. Like, I feel like Luca has done that with his entire life it feels like the basketball is an appendage he will do the little soccer headers every once in a while he'll soccer juggle the ball with the, with his feet regularly mm-hmm. during games uh, you know the, the the different 
you know, speeds that he can put on his passes, right? He has every speed. Like, you know, people talk about change of direction, change of uh, tempo, you know, when you're dribbling the basketball, like he can do that with his passes. Um, Now, look, there's a number of turnovers along the way. He definitely takes unnecessary risks and his decision-making always isn't always the best. But when he really gets himself into that state where he was like kind of like worked up and completely locked in and the whole game is just like unfolding in front of him, it's pretty ridiculous you know it's like definitely magic johnson lebron james level control and orchestration and you know is he going to be able to do that every single night question mark for sure but you can't he reach those kind of peak crazy hall of famer type levels for sure and i couldn't even believe coach bud who basically hates ever giving a soundbite i mean that's like his (laughs) least favorite thing to do in the world and he was asked like who does luca in year two like remind you of from an impact standpoint and he's like, basically, no guard ever. And the only name he could come up with was Tim Duncan. He's like, look, they're obviously different players, different sizes, you know, different positions and everything else. But yep. um, that was the the first name that came to mind when he's talking about Luca and basically age 21 in year two. That was pretty wild, man. That was uh, not something that I expected to hear at like 1 a.m. on a Friday night. It took me a while to calm down after that. Yeah, I that comment was absurd. Uh, Rick Carlisle, <clears throat> his comments have been I mean he, there's really nothing more that Rick Carlisle can even say about Luca but one of the things that I think about often going back real quick to like when two teams passed on him I guess you could say three cuz Atlanta traded uh him for Trey Young um is the criticism that he would not have like his ceiling was not as high as other prospects and that he would not be able to develop certain parts of his game because of limited athleticism. It's like the the game that he had against the Bucks, he's not having as a rookie and it is just it is straight up terrifying to think about what he's going to do and how dominant he's going to be when he is like 28 or 29 years old when his brain because like his body is his body and whatever like he still he creates space with his footwork and it doesn't even need to be super fast or anything like that but like as his brain gets even smarter which is what happens when you are you, you age in the NBA um it's just going to be a horror show like y- there's just no defending this person and whenever he makes a step back 3 that is like lightly even lightly contested or hard or, or heavily contested and it goes in, it's just like, if this shot goes in uh, more consistently, he's like the best player ever. Like, I, I, he's he's just, he's on another level. No, man, he's absolutely ridiculous. And he can take, you know, hyperbolic overreactions and just turn them into just like statements of fact. Like I saw so many people on Twitter being like, Luca's going to be an MVP in the next three years. Luca's going to win a title by the time he's age 25. And it's like, usually when people do that off of a guy's like best game of his career when he's 21, it's like, okay, calm down. Like it was the people like saying Gary Trent Jr., you know, perennial all-star potential based off of six games in the bubble, right? And that's when you're Fact. like, okay, slow down, slow down. Great like, take. T- I love that take, by Like the way. TJ Warren, <laughs> is he better than Jordan? You know, people love to go like that direction on social media mm-hmm. and just, you know, completely go off the rails. With the Luca stuff, it's like MVP by 25, very plausible. MVP next year would not surprise me. Title, I want to bet on it. No, I want to bet on him winning MVP next year. I swear to God. Like, I think that he should be the favorite. I don't, (laughs) like, why not? Why wouldn't he be the favorite? Well, I think we could get you a, a Gambler's Anonymous helpline there, Michael. You got a little too Sweet. excited there at the idea of being able to throw your entire <laughs> life savings at Luca, but it, it would be a, a completely reasonable bet. Um, 
what about this Harden comparison, though, right? Because uh-huh. uh, I think that, you know, there's a lot of Harden haters out there. I imagine our guy uh, Brandon emailing in is one of them. And Luca is the, you know, fresh new kid on the block, right? He hasn't had the chance to, quote-unquote, flop in the playoffs. He's never even taken a team to the playoffs before. He doesn't have Harden's resume. As the Rockets bloggers were very keen to point out, that beautiful between-the-legs pass that Luca made is something that's, like, routine for James Harden, right? So routine that there's, like, a three-minute highlight clip of him just doing it over and over and over against, you know, very high-level defenses to all sorts of different guys, on the roll. I think those are fair points being made by the, the Harden defenders. Um, right now, Luca or Harden, who would you pick to build your team around solely for trying to win a bubble title and why? Harden in two seconds without even really having to think about it. Um, Harden's just better. Like, I, I, everything I said about Luca is like my astonishment is a lot of it is based on his age and uh, his trajectory and what he will accomplish in his career. I still, I think he's amazing now for sure. Uh, Harden's just better. Like uh, if statistically um, in terms of value, like all the value value metrics on off metrics really favor Harden, you know, their usage is the exact same this season, which is pretty funny. And Harden's true shooting is just notably better. Um, he's just a more impactful basketball player at this point, and not to mention the defensive end, which is where a lot of uh, Harden gets a lot of criticism. But Luca doesn't get like any criticism for his defense. And there was actually one writer who I don't even want to mention uh, on the pod, but he gave Luca a vote for the All Defensive Team, which like I just my mind is melting. Um, but Harden has been, uh, you know, playing humongous minutes, uh, a part of some of the better defenses that the NBA has even seen in the last five years. So like, it's just, it's not even really a question for me. Um, and yeah, I think Luca in terms of value is kind of a victim of his own circumstance where Dallas, like their bench units are just always great. And, uh, even if you just look at this season, when when Luca is not on the floor, like Dallas is perfectly fine. Uh, when Harden sits, the Rockets are like plus point zero one points per one hundred possessions or something. And when he plays, they're plus six. So, and that's with Russell Westbrook on the team, and they stagger minutes. So I just think Harden's more valuable. He's more skilled. Uh, he is uh, underappreciated for sure, uh, and. My praise for Luca is I don't mean to like temper it too much because he's incredible and I meant everything that I said, uh, but it is just even more magical just because of his age, whereas Harden's been doing this for years. So we're kind of we're used to it by now. Yeah, I mean, look, 21-year-old Luca is definitely better than 21-year-old Harden. So the fact that 21-year-old Luca is forcing a conversation or a debate with right. current Harden says a lot. And I agree with you. Current Harden deserves the the attention and the, the recognition. He's done more. He's earned it. He's been had a great season. Um, I actually think he's more trustworthy in a playoff format, even though some people like to harp on that. Harden's had tons of big-time playoff performances. Um, you know, He's a well-oiled machine, better two-way player like you're describing. Uh, I'm with you on all that stuff. At the same time, who do I want to play with? I want to play with Luca. I don't know if it's the the magic of that smile, Michael. I don't know if it's the joy for the game. I don't know if it's the the dolphin headers of the basketball where he's, you know, just, you know, bouncing that basketball on his forehead over and over mm-hmm. like a dolphin, but 
it looks like an awful lot of fun to be a member of the Dallas Mavericks. That's all I'm saying. And I don't know if I would say the same thing about the Rockets. Actually, I do know. I would not say that about the Rockets. It doesn't seem like it's been super fun the last three or four years. And, you know, ultimately, like, I want to win. So I think I would want to sign up for the Rockets for the bubble because that, that would maximize my chances of winning. But if I'm tying my next, you know, if I'm a free agent and I'm tying my next three or four years to this thing, I'm hopping aboard the Luka train immediately. You're moving the goalposts on me during your answer, but I just want to say there was a play that I want to point out at the end of that Bucks game where uh, I thought Luka and KP were going to go at it because KP, I don't know if you noticed this watching live, but KP was, you know, they, they ran a high pick and roll, drew the switch. Uh, I think KP had like Wes Matthews on him or something at the high post. And he's just screaming for the ball. And Luca has his own mismatch because I forget who was on him, but it was KP's man. So, uh, and Luca had it like going and he could not be stopped. And so you would think in this situation, KP would uh, like space the floor, like float out to the corner or, or, or somewhere, uh, elbow extended. And instead, he's just screaming for the ball. And Luca kind of is like, being super nice and passive and, and gives it to him and KP bricks a turnaround jumper from the elbow. And I thought that it was like with a minute left in a one possession game. And I thought that that was a really interesting play. I don't even know how to, I'm, I, I don't even know how to like draw any conclusions about that, but I just wanted to point it out really quickly. Well, so that's what I'm saying. It'd be more fun to play with Luca. Cause even if you're going to throw a game away, he's going to at least give you the opportunity to do it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I kid. Um, I just think that, I mean, look, it is the new flavor, right? And those you, these teams that get on joy rides, the joy mm-hmm. ride never lasts forever, right? You can maximize like basically a two-year joy ride before people start to get sick of each other, you know, tensions start to brew. This guy's got too many shots or whatever else. But the Mavericks right now are in that like joy ride stage. And I have a feeling that like they're going to be able to just continue to find people who want to play with Luca because he makes their life so easier. He's going to get guys paid. You know, just like a Chris Paul or even a Harden has gotten guys paid in the past as well. And mm-hmm. the joy stuff is infectious and it's very real. I mean, this guy comes out with a giant smile on his face before every game and he keeps it like that, you know, the whole way. It was so interesting watching him interact with Giannis before the tip off. Luca bounds over like this, you know, puppy with a giant smile on his face, like wanting to like, you know, dap up and shake Giannis's hand. And Giannis is already going into his routine where he's got like the kill look in his eye and he's about to go run around and, you know, stare down the stanchion and everything else. And you know, Giannis gave him a polite nod, but that was pretty much it. It was like, I'm, I'm about business. And it's just different styles, you know, different personalities between guys. But I do think uh, having your best player carry himself like that and be so happy to play, I think it, it matters a lot. And I, I think that... Um, you know, it's going to carry them well. And we, we shouldn't overlook that when we're talking about things like leadership potential or, mm-hmm. um, you know, just like pecking order issues for Dallas like down the road. I think there was a tendency for even players like Dirk in the past to kind of be questioned on that stuff because they're European, right? Or because maybe, you know, <clears throat> English isn't their first language or whatever other reasons people want to come up with. I think that Luca's leadership potential is actually super duper sky high because he keeps everyone invested, right? He's able to set you up for success, but he also just has that, you know, that that personality you want to be around. Yeah. Could I ask you a question real quick, Ben? Um, so that, we know that who- actually is a question. So yes, you can, and you can ask me another. <laughs> All right, Hassan Whiteside. Um, 
I we we know who the uh, who the, the Mavericks are going to play in the first round. In all likelihood, it's going to be the Clippers. Um, not certain, but that's what's most likely. Clippers are, I think, you know, the smart person's opinion is that the Clippers are the best team and the Clippers win the championship. Like, what what percentage are you giving the Mavericks to upset the Clippers in the bubble? Um, 15, 10, somewhere in there. Does that 15? feel too low? Stunning. Yeah. You're usually a very conservative person, so I was expecting like 3% out of you. So 15, I'm kind of blown away. Well, the Clippers just have not been that consistent top-end team here, and they've had so many guys in and out. That's probably what's influencing it more than anything. I also think that there's a chance Dallas is the third best team in the West. You know, I mean, they're, to me, it's like them or Houston. Houston probably creates more matchup issues like directly for teams, but Dallas is, to me, they're better than Utah. They're better than Denver um, in terms of like – you know, just playoff threat, like right now in this particular moment, not in a vacuum, not anything to do with like the regular season is Dallas is a problem. Like they really are. Their, their offense is um, consistently putting up huge numbers and Luke is on a different planet. So I guess that's kind of where I'm coming from. I would still take the Clippers like heavily, but mm-hmm. the Clippers have not had a smooth run here, you know, uh, of the top three teams, you know, them, Lakers and Bucks. I mean, all three of those teams actually have kind of new and deeper questions maybe than I expected um, coming out of these regular season games. But I think there's some level of vulnerability there. I'm I'm just really happy for the chaos, I got to say. And real quick before we move on, I called you Hassan Whiteside. I realized that that's going to make no sense to anybody. Um, I called you Hassan Whiteside because uh, years ago I walked up to him and asked him if I could ask him a question, and he said, you just did, and oh. then he walked away. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, at least I gave you a second follow-up, Michael. That's nice of me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what percentage would you put on it? You know, now that you're the one asking mm-hmm. the questions, maybe you should answer them. What, per- what percentage chance would you give Dallas to beat uh, the Clippers? I just think Dallas's defense is really bad, So, and I think that they're – their primary advantage against most teams is their bench and when their stars sit and that's going to be not an advantage in the playoffs particularly against a really deep team assuming that the Clippers are at full strength like the Clippers so I, I would actually put it at like six or seven percent to be honest with you wow okay yeah. not uh not uh, super bullish I like that all no. right uh, let's shift gears here we mentioned it a little bit earlier Speaking of the Clippers, um, they got into a little back and forth with the Portland Trailblazers on Saturday. Lillard missed two clutch free throws in the closing seconds of that game. Patrick Beverly was just hooting and hollering on the sideline. <laughs> I tweeted his initial comment, which was a sarcastic dollar time and tapping his wrist when Lillard missed his first free throw. After L- Lillard missed the second one, Beverly collapsed in hysterics with Marcus Mor- Morris Jr., Um, started yelling out Dame time. Then he waved Lillard off the court. I believe Paul George got in on that as well. Afterwards, Lillard was not pleased at all. Basically said, of course, those guys are upset. I've sent Patrick Beverly home in 2014 from the playoffs. I sent Paul George home in 2019 from the playoffs. He said that just shows you how much they're hurt by that in the past. I mean, it was getting very personal. Then they exchanged shots on Instagram with uh, Damian Lillard calling Paul George out for constantly changing teams. 
Paul George then going to his Instagram story to let everyone know that he's had six major surgeries and his entire career would be different without those. Um, you know, really oh, existential <laughs> arguments on both sides. So I, I'm curious, Michael, uh, who won this this trash talk back and forth? Damian Lillard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, and then did Lillard's 51 points the very next Dude. night, did that seal it in his favor, or how do you view that? Damian Lillard is undefeated, in my opinion. He cannot lose. He is the people's champion, regardless of what happens on the court. He's the most relatable genuine honest authentic superstar in the nba um that i can even really remember to be honest with you and i just i love everything about him he's so cool uh i was shocked when he missed the free throws i was not shocked by uh patrick beverly or marcus morris doing what they did i loved his response because he's exactly right like those guys know like those guys were shocked that i missed those free throws because i make every clutch shot they know my most clutch shots uh they were the victims of them so uh, it just gave him an opportunity to remind everyone that he's like a total winner and a boss and to go at him on instagram then and uh let him call paul george out for uh i think the phrase was he's he's running away from the grind (laughs) which was just like I, i loved it i loved it so much uh i love dame I really, really, really hope that the Blazers get into the playoffs. Um, we'll get to that, back to the playoff question in a second, but I, I want to just tie off the entire back and forth with one final quote that wasn't really directed at the Clippers um, specifically, but it was more of a general comment. Lillard was asked, you know, does he like clutch moments or the stress? You know, he had a big comeback against Philly to win that game. And he goes, I enjoy those games mentally because you can see people start to break down and have lapses. You get to the point where only a few people will push through. I like to take advantage. I know I'm going to be there the whole time. And as somebody replied on Twitter, John Wick flow. Like that's kind of what he was going with there. Where I mean, it was just really kind of a sadistic viewpoint of just watching people crumble around him as he's trying to, um, you know, make it through to the finish line. I just love the competitiveness, like you're saying. Um, and they needed it. I mean, they needed all 51 of those points, nine in the final three minutes, uh, to kind of to to, to um, you know keep them afloat. And I think that was the big back and forth is that Lillard was so upset about all of this, not because Beverly was mocking him or even their past history. He was upset because he missed the free throws, right? And he was mad at himself and he couldn't believe it. He was almost kind of shocked. And to have those guys try to, um, you know, score points, I think at that moment, you know, really wounded his pride. I mean, he was genuinely um, upset on Saturday night when he was making those comments, you know, just being in the room there, it was like, oh boy, this guy's pissed. Like, I don't know if he's going to, break a television monitor it wasn't kind of like that kind of anger but it was sort of like he's taking out a notepad and writing people's names down and then you know who knows what's going to happen six months from now um yeah he was steaming yeah very like michael corleone godfather uh, anger there but we got a question from rob at bc he says i've been listening to you for a while now and i love the pod and the podcast love it when people say that michael as i was listening to you guys (laughs) the other day Talk about the Lakers possibly exiting the playoffs early. There was one scenario that I was surprised you didn't mention. It might be even juicier than getting knocked out of the second round by the Houston Rockets. What do you guys think about Portland getting the eighth seed and taking the Lakers out in round one? Call me crazy, but based on how the two teams look right now, I can see this potentially happening. Michael, 
you know, you've been the number one Lakers hater on the internet the last week. Are you ready to triple down and take the Blazers over the Lakers in the first round? I sincerely believe that the Portland Trail Blazers could beat the Los Angeles Lakers in the first round. Yes. Stop there. I, too, the, the word could is doing too much work. We need to, we need to tighten that up. <laughs> I will say I... Can I get a I will? Did, can I get a will beat the Los Angeles Lakers? I'm not... I can't give a will until I know that Portland's in the playoff picture, which is why I didn't uh, I didn't mention them last time because it's just like I, I don't know who they're going to play in the first round. I don't want to get too crazy and lose my entire credibility off, off my Rockets pick, so I'm not going to go there yet. But I just look at that matchup, and I'm kind of like, I understand that LeBron, like, I guess fundamentally what I, what I, what I see is that the Blazers can play all these different types of lineups they have a breadth of talent they have they can go big uh they can go super small as they did against the sixers with ease they played mellow at the five and it wasn't a problem uh they have the best offense in the bubble uh they have the best point guard by far i think in the bubble and the lakers like they're super one-dimensional they have they would probably have the two best players in that series but then it's just like this severe drop off and particularly matched up against the Blazers. It's like, who is guarding Damian Lillard? Who is guarding CJ? You have this fascinating Mello versus LeBron thing, which is just like, I, I wonder how Mello will approach all of that. Because Mello not only is, of course, friends with LeBron and has only matched up with him once in the playoffs in his career, but the Lakers had an opportunity to technically sign Mello for a while, and they didn't. So, like, I, I just think it's there's 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 an overflow of storylines. There's an overflow of problems. I think from the Lakers side because they're gonna need their defense is fine. Like, sure, they're gonna need to score to beat a team like the Portland Trail Blazers with how Portland is playing, and. I don't know. I think it's not crazy to say that Portland can win that series. So if Portland goes up 2-1 in that series, are you suggesting Adam Silver is going to show up in Orlando and actually force Melo to join the <laughs> Lakers like mid-series just to make sure to keep them afloat? Um, so here's the deal. I think that I agree with a lot of the points you're making. However, Portland's defense is really, really rough. I mean, yeah. you know, and in theory, they can play big and small, but like pretty much no, no matter what five they put on the court, they can't stop anybody. And so I would still take LeBron over Lillard as an individual threat. I don't necessarily trust his, um, his supporting cast, but like the formula for beating LeBron in the playoffs has been have basically two elite perimeter defenders and have a really reliable rim protector behind them and then basically that's how you can drastically limit what he does over the course of a series. Otherwise, he will find a way to beat you. That's sort of been mm-hmm. the um, the game plan. And Portland checks none of those boxes, right? Like they have none of it. They're not even getting started on that homework assignment. So that part <laughs> really makes me nervous on their behalf. Now, at the same time, uh, through five games of the bubble, Gary Trent Jr. had almost as many three-pointers as the entire Lakers team through five games. That is a big problem, right? I mean, that is sort of the, you know, the ultimate like eight over one seed. How are they going to pull this off? It is a team that's a much much better three point shooting just randomly stays hot for four games, right? And there's mm-hmm. just you, you can't make up the math. I mean, that's sort of the um, the great equalizer in this kind of a scenario. The matchups on the perimeter drastically favor 
the Blazers, you can't really use an Anthony Davis or a LeBron on either one of their guards, right? So that that, that doesn't really help you. Um, I, th- I, th- I think they will in, in crunch time, though, just like thinking way far ahead. Like LeBron, like I just think LeBron is going to want that task on one of those guys at least. And well, maybe, to- maybe you could use LeBron on CJ, but I don't think you could use either one of those guys as a regular defender on Dame. I don't think that's going to end very well. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I think the question of who would guard LeBron in that series is a hilarious one for sure. And I can just imagine the Lakers offense, just every possession being a LeBron post up, a double team, a kick out for three, or LeBron just putting his head down, you know, two nining the help defender, trying to get to the basket, drawing a foul. That's going to be yep. just all that they do. Um, and you don't really have a way to stop that necessarily, except just hoping that LeBron eventually wears down because he's 35 years old. But I, I, I think that I think that that series would actually be like super competitive. And I'm, I really hope we get it. It could be pretty interesting. I guess I'm picturing a lot of exasperated Yusuf Nurkic fouling out like midway through the second quarter. But I would say go in the other direction. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure KCP is like central casting for having a Damian Lillard three-pointer shot and hit over the top of him, you know, to be yes. like, you know, placed alongside the Paul Georges and uh, and I guess Chandler Parsons of the world. So mm-hmm. uh, you, you do have that kind of going for the, the Lakers on that side. But um I would still take the Lakers here, but it's way more interesting than I thought it would be. And it's also possible we don't get it because all it takes is a little slip up here down the stretch and and Portland's eliminated. So we'll track that going forward um, the rest of the week. Michael, before we're done here, though, I do think we need to give a little bit of an obituary to these Pelicans because Mm. we got a couple questions in here. Uh, First one's from Don. He says, I'm a first-time writer and long-time listener from Montreal. The NBA bubble has been really good in terms of return since we have seen some great team and individual performances, but there's one team that has been a real disappointment, the Pelicans. The Pelicans are a disgrace. So much hype going on uh, coming into the NBA bubble and for and for them to be able to try to make it to the playoffs, only for them to come up short again and again. Their latest effort in a must-win game against the Spurs was atrocious. This team was supposed to be a great fit between veteran and young talent, and most importantly, a generational talent in Zion. Peter wrote in before that game was even over to say, I'm annoyed that the NBA keeps giving the Pelicans primetime TV spots. The only NBA game I got to watch today was a boring blowout with the Spurs up on the Pelicans by 17 points at the half. Everything else is relegated to League Pass and NBA TV. What a waste of a chance to get a Sunday audience excited about the NBA restart. The Pelicans look sloppy and Zion looks out of shape. So we got some heaters. I got to say, Michael, my natural inclination is to defend Zion on these on these uh, kinds of attacks. Um, mm-hmm. I think the listeners were speaking facts only. I think it was um, pretty pathetic, their outing on Sunday. They came out before the game half-hearted during pregame warm-ups. They played half-hearted defense throughout the entire first half. They made a little bit of a push, largely thanks to J.J. Redick and a few flashes from Zion. Mm-hmm. Their hearts were not in it. To me, the, the entire theme of the weekend, and I wrote about this in my newsletter, was who actually wants to be in the bubble? Who wants to sign up for another two weeks, right? And who's ready to check out? And that was actually one thing we got right, you know, previously, you know, going back a month or two, this idea of checkout time, you know, people being like, eh, you know, I don't really want to hang out longer than I have to in Orlando. I'm fine to go home and hang out with my family instead. 
That's exactly what happened with the Pelicans. And every single person on that team basically is implicated with the possible exception of J.J. Redick. Um, those guys were ready to rock and roll out of Orlando. And their explanations afterwards made no sense. I mean, Alvin Gentry said there's no explanation. I told him it was a game seven. They weren't ready to go. They're basically never ready to go. So I think that kind of points to the coach. And then with Zion, he looked heavy, um, as the emailer mentioned. He never really consistently sustained top energy. He didn't Mm -hmm. play the big minutes that uh, he was capable of holding down in March. And then ultimately, he was a minus a lot of the time he was on the court. Uh, Just, you know, four out of the five games, I think he was a minus. He had one really nice showing, and that was about it. So I'm, I'm with these guys. I mean, look, they're young. It's a weird circumstance. There's all sorts of extenuating uh, circumstances and situations you could bring up. But ultimately, like, that's a lot of excuses, right? Everybody's facing the same stuff. And this was the team that broke and folded first um, before many other teams did. Yeah, it's one of the things that we talked about ad nauseum was experience and youth and just getting into the bubble, how that would impact things. And I think back to their first game on opening night, which was uh, this loss against the Jazz that they totally blew. And I don't think they really ever mentally recovered from something like that. And you can tell who on that team is like a pro's pro, like J.J. Redick, who competed his butt off on Sunday afternoon against the Spurs. Uh, I just don't think that, you know, they probably had this mentality like, uh, you know, every game is a borderline must win for us. And this is a winnable game. And they're up the whole time. They drop it. And then it's just like, okay, well. Uh, that's it. <laughs> I guess, like, might as well just go home. I mean, guys like like Lonzo Ball, just complete no-show. I forget if I've even mentioned him since we started analyzing this team since the restart, but, like, he's been, he was so bad. Um, oh, he was you know, getting his lunch money stolen out of his pocket, dribbling the ball up the court. I mean, it was just lackadaisical. And, you know, he showed a little heart on Twitter, retweeting Bleacher Report, kind of mocking his stats and being like, yeah, make sure you post him next year. How about show up in the bubble? How about that? Like, don't get into a Twitter argument over, you know, over your mm-hmm. poor stats. Just own your play. And these guys just didn't want to play for each other, bottom line. And I think that they were probably thrown off by Zion exiting the bubble and then coming back. I imagine that kind of changed the entire tenor of this trip for them because your biggest personality and kind of the face of the organization and everything is just suddenly not there. And so that's kind of outside that team's control. But they did not respond to that adversity well. They played poor defense along the way. Um, And I think that I've got questions about a guy like Ingram. Does he make his teammates better? You know, he has a lot of nice individual one-on-one play. Um, He can get a shot. He can get the right type of shots now. He makes good Mm -hmm. decisions. He's a tough one-on-one cover. But a lot of what he's doing, it's my turn, your turn stuff. The ball goes to him and starts to pound a lot. You have a lot of other guys on that team just standing around watching. It's not great. And, you know, he doesn't really bring it defensively. Uh, you know, from an effort or an impact standpoint either. At least he didn't here in Orlando. So, um, you know, if we're talking like glasses half full versus glasses half empty right now, like almost every individual Pelican, like my glass is pretty darn empty. Yeah, I'm not going to crap on my guy, Brandon Ingram. I thought he was fine, I guess. You know, shot the ball pretty well. Uh, well, don't I just you think- want a guy like in that situation, though, Zion is, is out for undisclosed medical reasons right so it's like look we're down here in the bubble we're investing a month together 
everybody hop on my back. I was an all-star this year. I, yeah. you know, no, I, ca- yeah. I carried us to 13 straight losses when Zion was out. Let's go and do it again, right? <laughs> like, you know, I'm being a little bit facetious, but that's what you want to see in that situation, right? You need to rally no. around somebody. They had nobody to rally around, you know? And they yeah. just, they went out there and were flat. They mailed in multiple games and then they're they're going home and I'm, I think they're glad to be going home, right? I think if there was some sort of a twist where they had to stay another two weeks, I think they might have guys just walk right off the campus. <laughs> no, I mean, all that is is very fair, and I'm just being biased because I love Brandon Ingram. I, I think that it was also just, as you pointed out, very difficult to adjust constantly to what, like the unpredictability of Zion's availability and how many minutes he's going to play and... You know, having a guy in and out of the rotation uh, th- 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 with these short stints and everything—that's just really difficult to to adjust to. And you know, they they play, they call plays for Zion, and in that Spurs game to try to get him going, like he just it wasn't there. And so, I'm I guess like my primary takeaways are that Zion. I don't even know what number you put on it. Like, was he like 65%? Not even? Like, just a total non-factor on the glass, which is one of the biggest parts of his game, particularly the offensive glass. Just like the energy was not there. Um, And then the other thing is, like, what do you do with Gentry? Um, For him to say that it was a, a game seven yesterday and for his team to be like, whatever, this is not a game seven, you're an idiot. I just, I don't know where you go from there. I feel for Alvin Gentry because I think that before the shutdown, he was giving the New Orleans Pelicans this really uh, smart identity uh, of speed, and he was accentuating a lot of his players' strengths. And, you know, Zion was really important, and Zion really wasn't available, and that's that's a tough thing to a, to come back from if you're if you're a head coach. It's super tough. I mean, my first inclination would be is that it's time for a new voice because they weren't listening or like he wasn't getting through. Uh, But there are a lot of crazy circumstances here. I could see them trying to give him one more year or at least the start of a year to kind of make a better case for himself. I don't Mm. see a natural a natural like uh, pivot or alternative in in that particular situation. Um, It's hard to know what direction they would want to go. So Woj reported over the weekend that if they let Gentry go, who has one more year on his contract, uh, Ty Lu and Jason Kidd would be strong candidates for the position. What are your thoughts on uh, on those two? I mean, I could kind of see Ty Lu maybe. Um, I mean, we, we've been over the Jason Kidd stuff previously, so I don't know if we have to, to go back <laughs> down that route. Um, you know, that's those are the kind of the high-profile names right now. And there's yeah. obviously a connection there with Ty Lu um, and David Griffin, so I could see that kind of making some sense. Uh, right. You know, he he's a younger guy, um, energetic. I do think that guys listen to him and buy in. He's commanded respect of superstar level players. I mean, ultimately, what you're dis- describing about Zion's impact on his teammates the the word is disruptive, and it's not him being a dis- disruptive person. It's just the 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 inconsistency with his health and availability has a disruptive impact on the whole team and they have to sort that out if they're going to go anywhere right i mean that's priority number one and so to me when you're saying like what do you have to do to make the pelicans into the team that they were supposed to be to make them worthy of the hype to make them Mm -hmm. worthy of putting on the the abc afternoon game so that we don't get these emails uh, emails from guys complaining about being forced to watch them 
you've got to get Zion completely bought in. You've got to get him in shape and to stay in shape, period, right? And that has to come from the coach. And again, I'm looking at whatever their system is right now. There is responsibility that falls on Zion, 100%. He cannot be in the kind of condition that he was in, um, you know, after a four-month layoff. And there, again, the, the health stuff is tricky. There's really no way around that. But ultimately, he had to be better than he was for them to, to make any success. And so I think that's the, the next coach's, um, you know, main challenge. Can Ty Lue do that? I would think so. You know, he's, he's handled some challenging personalities before, um, mm-hmm. you know, Kyrie Irving and, and uh, J.R. Smith and others. Um, so I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I guess if my choice was Ty Lue or Gentry, the more I'm thinking about it, I would go with Ty Lue. Yeah, I think that for Gentry, the difficulty there is, yeah, you want to be super hard on Zion about his conditioning, assuming that that was an issue uh, that he could have controlled over the break. But at the same time, you need, like he was a holdover from the previous regime, right? So uh, even though he has a prior relationship with David Griffin, like if Zion were to go to Griff and say, hey, like Alvin Gentry's yelling at me too much, like goodbye Alvin Gentry because that's just how it works and so if you're Ty Lue I think you come in with a little bit more like a credibility because you've won the title uh as a head coach you've dealt with personalities like LeBron uh and you would probably you know you're handpicked by David Griffin so uh I think that he would be a little bit more comfortable pushing Zion and not worrying about the blowback that could occur I would hope so, and uh, I hope that's what happens because we did not get to see Zion anywhere close to who he was in March, and it was the biggest disappointment for me so far of the bubble, and there was not really anything a close second. Um, All right, we're going to close on a lighter, happier note, Michael. We got an email from Kyle. He writes, What a strange time to be alive. July was definitely the best month of the pandemic for my family. The NBA is back, and my wife heroically delivered our second child. I pushed hard for the name Gulliver Michael, but she pushed harder during the labor, so we agreed to go with her idea, Niccolo Timothy. Sorry, guys. Now I am finally back to my favorite pastime, watching last night's NBA games bleary-eyed at 2.30 a.m. while I try to get the baby to go back to sleep. So, Michael, how do you feel about being snubbed here in favor of Jokic and uh, I assume Tim Duncan um, is where he's going with that nickname? Uh, was this a, an epic disaster for Kyle? I mean, obviously, congrats on the child, Kyle. Good job. I'm really happy for you, for you and your family. Um, but did he blow it with his name? I mean, if I'm feeling snubbed, the number one thing is that Gulliver is before Michael. Like, it's a no-brainer to have Michael before Gulliver, right? So I think uh, you would even admit that. So. I, don't, I wouldn't have named the child <laughs> Gulliver, I'll tell you that. I, I really don't like my last name. It's kind of always haunted me. I feel like it's a typo, you know? It, it's not great. Um, so I wouldn't have named the kid after it, but I don't know. I mean, you don't want your kid to grow up to be a weirdo. Name him Michael. Who knows? I agree. Yeah, Michael's a great name. Uh, you can't go wrong. Uh, that said, you know, Nicola Timothy is also a wonderful name, and congratulations on uh, getting to stay up at, at you know watch the NBA games at two thirty a.m. bleary eyed. I'm 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 not jealous of that, but congratulations all the same. It does seem like this kid's going to have super high basketball IQ if he's named after Jokic <laughs> and Duncan. And he, like, basically from birth is watching games at 2.30 in the morning with his dad. I feel like this kid, Hall of Fame trajectory. I don't know if I want to say he's the next Luka, but I would say, Kyle, get that basketball 
and treat it like your another appendage for your son. Just make sure he's always got it around. Make sure he's holding. He's you know just touching it twenty four seven. Who knows? Maybe we're going to be able to come back on this show, Michael, in twenty years, and we'll be talking about the number one pick in the twenty forty draft, a kid who should have been named after us, but what isn't. All right, guys, that's the end of another episode of Open Floor. Guys, check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael is on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben Golver. On Twitter at Ben Golver. Be sure to check out my Washington Post newsletter. You can find it on my Twitter page. The link is in my bio. Go ahead and give it a click. Sign up. It's free every single Monday. All right, Michael. Until later this week when we're going to double back with a whole bunch of questions that people emailed us at openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. Yeah.